Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Does guilt run too much of your life? Do you find that you're making many of your decisions based on whether or not you might feel guilty if you don't or if you do? Do you strive to please, help, and take responsibility for others? Then you may have a good guy identity. And believe it or not, this identity is deadly. This is the first of several shows that will provide a countdown to the launching of my next book, Letting Go of Good, Dispel the Myth of Goodness to Find Your Genuine Self, which is being released on August the 8th. We'll explore the good guy identity for its psychology, explaining how it is that being good can be so very bad for some people. And we will demonstrate how it is that we might begin to let go of that myth of goodness and find and live from the authentic self. So hang in here today. We're going to have an interesting discussion about the whole concept of what goodness is and isn't and the psychology of the good guy identity. So why in the world we want to let go of good? Isn't that a strange concept to think about, uh, you know, letting go of good? Good is all we hold on to. Good is all we hope for. Good is what we think we, we understand to be true and valid in life. But actually, good is a bunch of constructs that we've made up. And we made them up because we were scared not to. Goodness came about many centuries ago as a result of our thinking that if the gods thought we were good, maybe they wouldn't be so hard on us. Maybe they would let us do things that we needed to do and that would would be okay. We'd have a good crop. The, The ship would not be becalmed. We'd win the war. We'd get that relationship today. In today's terms, it's we'd have that money we need. We'd get that job we want. We have that girlfriend or boyfriend that we want. We would finally be able to be happy because we're being good. Because somehow good implies that there's a reward that comes with it and bad implies that there's consequences that come with that. Of course, in the real world, we know that's not true because we also have the adage that no good deed goes unpunished. We also know that there's lots of so-called bad things that uh, don't get punished as they what we think we sh- they should. So... This whole concept of good and bad is based in the concept of duality, which we've spent a lot of time talking about on this show, the idea that we're separate from God because we're bad and God is good, and it's just going to be that way until we can find some way, some ritual, some prayer, some uh, uh, request for forgiveness that will allow us into the graces of the good God again until, of course, we do something bad again, and then we'll have to ask for forgiveness again. Um, This whole idea is, is uh, based on that duality. And duality is based on the premise that there are two opposite constructs that don't have anything to do with each other, that they must be separate in our minds, and that one is black and the other is white, and there's very little gray area. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of us living our lives from this idea, even though we don't know we're doing it, even if we're not coming from a religious uh, perspective. Although this whole idea of good and bad is runs rampant through uh, what I've called the mistaken Christianity, if you've listened to my other show, uh, about the, that is based in duality but uh, and doesn't have much to do with oneness at all. But uh, you don't have to be a religious person to want to be good. In fact, our parents 
you know, wave to us on the buses at school to off the to go off to school or to preschool or even to go off to a play date with another friend saying, be good. And what they really meant was be good. Make your character to be good. Be goodness itself. And and that idea is comes across to little children as, oh, she's telling me who I am because little children are looking for mirrors in which to identify who they are. So, when, we he- when, when parents tell their children to be good or to, you know, even if they use the words act good, uh, they're still putting out that message that says that there's something uh, that you can measure up to. There's a standard you can measure up to. The problem with that standard is that it's so fluid that nobody could grab hold of it. One, for one family, goodness is, you know, uh, inviolate. And it can't be, you know, we know what goodness is. This is what it is. This is how it's defined. Everybody in the family understands it. There's rules to follow. If you follow these rules, then there's goodness. And if you don't, there's badness. And uh, in another family, there's a real fluid construct about goodness and badness. And those two can be next door neighbors to each other. Um, So, you know, what we understand about goodness is very fluid. What we understand about badness is very fluid. Like we... Most of us in America think that it was a really bad thing for Osama bin Laden to, to fl- uh, fly, have his men fly airplanes into the trade towers in the Pentagon. But they thought it was a very good thing to do. In fact, they thought it was so good that it was going to get them into heaven. So, you know, this idea of what's good and what's bad is really very, very different for different cultures, different families, even different churches, different organizations within churches. Um, so, you know, we can't really grab hold of it. And yet, and this is the dangerous part about it, we are deciding on our worth based on these extremely fluid concepts that can't be standardized. That's where it gets really dangerous. And what's even more dangerous for most people who are really, really, really stuck on striving to be good is that they believe their worth is dependent on their actions and their actions must absolutely show constant forgiveness and constant responsibility for other people. And this is where it also gets dangerous because those other people could be abusive. And yet the good person believes that they must keep forgiving and being kind and, and, and tolerating the unacceptable behavior and uh, uh, continuing in that relationship that's very dangerous to their well-being. And they may not even know that they're thinking in terms of goodness But when I've worked with people, and this is how I came to this book, was that I have worked with so many people over the years who are stuck in that idea of worthiness and unworthiness that they they are striving very, very hard to be worthy by taking responsibility for other people and trying to make other people happy. And they, they sense a great deal of shame lurking behind that that says, if I'm not serving other people, if I'm not responsible for other people, then there's a great deal to be ashamed of. And I should worry about that. And I should let guilt be my director. I should let guilt manage my life because I'm trying really hard to be a good person so that I won't be a bad person, so that I won't feel that horrible shame, so that I won't feel worthless. And we know that worthy, uh, worthlessness is one of, the, one of the criteria. A sense of worthlessness is one of the criteria for a major depression disorder. 
Um, so it, it has real consequences. This thing of striving to be good has real consequences where people can get depressed and even suicidal because they feel like they're not taking responsibility for others good enough or because they've got this conflict of emotion. Now they've been taking responsibility for others so long for so many years that they've built up some real steep resentments and they think that these resentments show them how unworthy they are, that if they were just good enough people, they would be able to serve others and take responsibility for, the, with other, for others without ever having this reservoir of resentment built up inside of them. So they uh, feel worthless because they have that resentment, and they come see me to say, you've got to, get, you've got to help me get rid of this resentment. Well, that's not at all what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to help them get in touch with the, the authenticity of that resentment because the, that resentment is actually telling them that they're doing a whole lot of stuff that's not even genuine. And that is the beginning of this story where uh, the myth of goodness keeps us out of touch with our genuine self. The reason we formulated a bunch of codes and laws about goodness and badness is because we didn't trust the authentic self to be enough. We thought we needed codes and laws and rules to get the authentic self to behave correctly. Whereas, if we'd been teaching people all along to get in touch with their authentic self and to be true to our genuineness, we would have already uh, formulated a living experience out of uh, the genuine pool of passion and compassion that is richly defined in each of us, but ignored by most of us because we're so busy trying to follow the rules of shoulds and have-tos and ought-tos instead of getting in touch uh, with our genuine compassion and passion. So those go... The power of our genuine compassion and passion goes unused in a lifetime that is spent trying to do the shoulds, the have-tos, and ought-tos. And that's the shame of living in a good guy identity, and not not in terms of shame for the person, but in terms of it's really sad that they have to live that way, to live in that good guy identity. And uh, in a previous book called Restoring My Soul, a workbook for finding and living the authentic self, I called this identity the scapegoat priest. It's the same thing. I've called it something different here because it has an easier to understand terminology. Good guy identity is a little bit easier to understand than a scapegoat priest. So I'm using that terminology now, but it's the same thing. So if you've read my book, Restoring My Soul, and you found yourself to be the scapegoat priest, this is the same thing. Um, and we go into further detail in this book about how to heal that, uh, that particular identity. So let's talk a minute about identity because that's the basis of this whole concept. Um, There are some uh, real good authors who've written about identity over the years, psychologists and psychiatrists alike who've who've really spent many uh, volumes of treatise writing about what identity is and isn't. I'm just going to try to simplify it here. Identity is a mask and costume that is not authentic. It is, uh, we put it on really, really early in life before we're even verbal um, because we're trying to uh, uh, live into the mirror that is presented to us by our primary caregivers, be they parents or adoptive parents or whatever they are, our primary caregivers. And um, we, what we want to do is uh, look into that mirror and see who we are. So when we have, for example, a parent who really needs us to, to show them that they're good as, as a parent, you know, that they're insecure about their parenting ability, and so they need us to be really good children so that they can feel good about being a parent, we'll look in that mirror as an infant, a toddler, and we'll be able to say, oh, okay, well, that's who I am. I'm this really good person. 
and that and I will make I will do whatever it is my parent needs me to do so that they can feel like a good parent. And we might not not be conscious of that so so that and we might not even be conscious that we've made that decision, but somewhere early early in life we don't have the capacity to say no to that parent on whom we're so dependent for uh, life itself. So we can't really oh <clears throat> no that's not my real mirror. That's not who I really am. That's just who you want me to be. We don't have that capacity when we're that little. We're looking at these faces to be the mirrors for us, to tell us who we are, to define us. And so they do. And the mirror says, this is who you are. You will be a good child. You will, you will follow my constructs for goodness. And the child intuits that and then interjects that projection and says, oh, okay, that's who I am. That's, and it just happens real uh, easily and fluidly through that in- projection interjection process that I spend a lot of time in the book talking about how that inter- projection and interjection process happens. So you'll get more information when you read the book about how that occurs. But uh, it occurs really early in life, and we become what it is our parents want us to be. So well, uh, very commonly we see, and you've probably seen this, you may be even a part of this, uh, that uh, one child in the family, let's say the oldest child, uh, turns out to be this child that is very problematic for the parents, always getting in trouble, always being in trouble at school, maybe getting in trouble with the law, maybe getting involved with drugs and alcohol, maybe, you know, get petty crimes or even larger crimes, uh, misdemeanors or even um, uh, felonies. They might get involved in all kinds of things that are embarrassing to the parents. And what is that about? Well, that's a projection interjection too. And that's a whole other book, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about The Bad Child. That's a whole other book that I hope one day to write as well. But, but okay, suppose the second child comes along and the parent says, I really need you to be a good child. You've got to be, I can't go through this again. You've got to be the good child. And the child picks up that projection and interjects it and says, okay, I'll be good. So that's how so many times... We see one child that's, you know, really, really this quote-unquote bad child and one child who's really, really the good, the, the quote-unquote good child in the family. Um, so because they grow up watching the good child get, the bad child get in trouble and they're hearing the parents' need for projection, projection onto them to be the good child and they're picking that up and they're saying, oh, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to be, I'm going to do what my parents need me to do to make them happy and then I'll be closer to them than he is or she is. And so that's how that evolves. And so uh, that projection that the parents say that I need so bad for you to be the good child, I can't have another bad child, is saying, I need this. This is what my psyche needs. And the child picks that up. And what do they have to do in order to do, pick up that identity is they have to surrender their authenticity. They have to say, okay, I'm not going to be who I really am anymore. I'm going to be who you need me to be. And they don't even know that that transaction is taking place. It's all happening in the unconscious ranges of interaction that happen under the table between two people fairly constantly. And we can see this kind of interaction even in adult-to-adult relationships where, um, you know, uh, 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 an agreement is made under the table about how they're going to interact with each other, and they don't know it. They Neither one of them know that they've made that agreement, but they're in this dance where one person steps forward and the other steps back, and they both know the steps, and they both do the steps, but they don't realize that they've made this unconscious agreement to do this. 
So we see, for example, uh, a good guy identity will get involved with a person who is abusive. And the good guy's, you know, taking responsibility and trying to make the abusive person happy and trying to please them and trying to make sure that they always do the right thing to make sure that the abusive person is happy. And they're walking around on eggshells trying to make sure that the abusive person is happy. And the abusive person comes home growling and complaining and, and, uh, and criticizing and uh, telling the person that what they're doing is not good enough so that the, the, the good guy person will step up that identity and work harder to be even better. And they're in the stance that that criticism says do better and the do better says more criticism and the criticism says do better and the do better says more criticism. And so they're in the stance and that one person steps forward, the other back, the other forward, the other back, and they dance and dance and dance that dance and they don't even know that that's the dance they're in. And it's a dance of two different identities trying to work out something and they're not really working it out. They're just stuck. And so we see that. Um, in relationships all the time, that kind of dance that people get stuck in. And 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 so it, all of those agreements to stay in that dance keep happening under the table of consciousness. They're not really paying attention to what's going on in that relationship. They're just doing the dance, just doing what they've always done, uh, almost rote-like. Uh, it's what's expected, and so we just do it. And uh, and so that kind of same if if that can be that powerful in an adult to adult relationship, just imagine how powerful it can be between an adult who's got all the power and an infant who has none. That's how powerful identity is, and that's that's uh, that's why it works. That's why people put on an identity in the first place is because it is that powerful. Um, and so it's really important for us to understand that um, we can have an identity that is not who we actually are. That's why I started this show nine years ago this month, actually, nine months, uh, nine years ago this month, um, uh, this was to, to talk about this whole process of authenticity, how to have an authentic life out of an identity, how to, put a, a, to, to begin to integrate the identity so that it doesn't run your life and be able to live from a more authentic perspective. That's why this show has started And that's what this book, Letting Go of Good, Dispel the Myth of Goodness to Find Your Genuine Self, is going to continue. I want to tell you um, just a brief announcement. You can go ahead and get that book online now at Amazon.com. You can pre-order it. Um, The foreword in the book is by Thomas Moore, uh, the author of Care of the Soul. I'm very proud that he has decided to uh, participate in this um, actualization with me and uh, has written a very beautiful foreword for the book. The book is also endorsed by Caroline Mice. She says, This book finally gives voice to the truth that doing good can be a dangerous compulsion that is rooted in any number of fears. This is an essential read for all of us. Um, And I will tell you about some of the other endorsements later in the show. But those two endorsements from Thomas Moore and Caroline Mice are important to get across the message that doing good is not the same at all as being authentic. And that's the primary message I want to get across today. Doing good is not at all the same as being authentic. So uh, um, when when we're working with authenticity, we want to talk about much more than doing good. We want to talk about what's really going on genuinely inside of us and access the genuine powers for passion and compassion, as well as to transform those things within us that are from blindness and from identity. So we're going to be working with that as we go through the show and over the next several shows before the book comes out on August the 8th. And I'm going to take a break right now. 
So we'll be back in just a few minutes with more on Letting Go of Good. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com What will show up in your card layouts today? Find out every week on Beyond Tarot and More with Shamanic Mystic, Jana Jens. Find out the secrets to your beauty, success, happiness, and empowerment. Our guests share stories, answers, and receive card readings based on the information discussed every week. You're invited to participate as well and see what's in the cards for you. Beyond Tarot and More airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration that opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time with award-winning authors Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the Empowerment Channel. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back. We're talking today about letting go of good, a concept that seems very foreign to us, but which will get us to a greater authenticity. But before we go there any further, I want to tell you about Super Soul Sunday. I love to talk about Super Soul Sunday. It's one of my favorite things to talk about and one of my favorite things to watch. Super Soul Sunday airs this Sunday, July 22nd at 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific on OWN, the Oprah Winfrey Network. And this is going to be a repeat, but one you may not have seen was Shaka Senghor, who was interviewed on Forgiveness and Redemption after he spent 19 years in prison for second-degree murder. It's a very interesting show, and I encourage you to watch it. The, uh, the new episodes will be coming back on August the 20th, and we will be announcing those as they come. But for now, if you haven't seen Shaka Senghor, go watch it this Sunday, July 23rd, 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific on OWN. All right, so we want to talk just a little bit to, right now. We've talked a little bit about the identity, and I want to make a, a comparison between the identity and the authentic self. Um, first of all, 
one of the things we tend to do anytime we start looking at the variant components of the of the self is we try to line them up with good and bad. <laughs> this thing about good and bad is so uh, embedded in us that it's extremely difficult for us to think uh, in any other terms. Uh, it's hard for me not to use the words good and bad, even though I try not to use those words, it's very difficult not to use them because this thing is so imprinted on our character that we, we, we just believe so much in good and bad. We've so um, hypnotized by this whole idea of duality. So when, when we, we talk about the authentic self, people want to say, that's the good guy in me. And when we talk about the identity, people want to say, well, that's the bad guy in me. And I want to be really, really careful today not to, to do that or to give you the impression that we need to do that. Because the authentic self is not a good guy and the identity is not a bad guy. The authentic self is just authentic and the identity isn't. And that's the difference between the two. And the difference can be felt on a very deep spiritual level, a very deep level where we find the self, the, the, the deepest essence of who we are. We can feel when we're being genuine and when we're not. And when I talk with clients about that, uh, you know, at first it may be a little bit difficult to access those different feelings, but as we, as we work with it, they begin to be able to say, yeah, that feels real. That resonates with me. That, that feels real to me. And so that's what I want to I send you to your internal self. I want to say that's where you're going to find information about who you are as an authentic being and that's also going to be where you find information about your identity. So <clears throat> the identity of goodness, <clears throat> the good guy identity we've talked a lot about already, uh, can be defined by trying to be good, a, a deep kind of striving to always do the right thing, a feeling of being sort of owned and managed by guilt, uh, a feeling of that you're responsible for how other people feel, how they act, how they think, what they do. That somehow that's your fault, your responsibility. Um, and the authentic self can be defined by its genuine responsiveness to life. Okay, so the authentic self has genuine passion and compassion within it. But it also struggles with the lies that are presented to it by the identity. And when it struggles with those lies, it gets to a greater level of authenticity. So we get to greater and greater levels of authenticity by, by working with what is interior in us, regardless of what that is. When we work with the identity and try to discover the lies it tells us, we are also becoming more authentic. So when we do, we, well, I don't want to say when we square off into the identity and try to work with it, we're doing identity work and that's all we're doing. And when we square off into the authentic self, we're doing authentic work and that's all we're doing. No, we... The idea is to integrate the identity so that it, it becomes useful to the authentic self. It becomes uh, a persona that we can put on and take off, uh, but not something we live out of completely. And it doesn't dominate our psyche. It doesn't dominate and control how we think and feel all day, every day. So in order for us to get clear about that, we have to talk in the book about some of the lies that hold us back. They, these, these are falsehoods that we have sent down through the generations and have been upheld as bastions of truth over the centuries that we have believed and believed and believed and are used in uh, both pejorative and um, 
worthy terms that we that we use against other people and in terms of praising other people. So before we go any further there, I want to say that when we uh, very commonly think that we can build self-esteem for other people, we do that. We think that we can do that by praising them for certain things and telling them other things are not good. And what we don't know is that we're deciding what's good and bad for them. We're deciding what's authentic and what's not for them. We're deciding who they are, and therefore, they don't have any awareness, especially if they're young children, don't have any awareness of who they are authentically. So self-esteem is not built by an outsider. Self-esteem is an inside job that comes from getting to know the self. And just getting to know the self is enough to build self-esteem. We begin to esteem a self that we know. Just in the same way that we might have a bias against someone and then we get to know them and we find out that we have a great deal of respect for them after all. That's how it happens with the self. We get to know the self and therefore we respect it more and we treat it better. So um, so we, I want to be clear on that before we go any further. So let's start with the first one. The, the first idea that is a falsehood that uh, we hear used almost daily. You will hear this phrase at least once this week, I promise you. The phrase is, give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, We are taught that we're supposed to give people the benefit of the doubt, and that's a good thing to do. And what that does is it tells us that we're good people and that we're being loving and kind to other people. What it doesn't tell us is that there is a doubt. We we just... uh, dismiss that doubt entirely when we say that I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. And the doubt is there to make us look at it, to make us ask questions about it, to make us come to answers about it so that we are clear in our decision about how we're going to respond to somebody. Now, the doubt is not there to tell us the truth. It's just a doubt. It's not a final truth. But but it can say to us, oh, there's there's something amiss here that I'm not quite certain about. I'm not really sure. I feel maybe my intuition is telling me something's really off here. Or maybe I'm discerning something. And discernment is that ability, which we'll talk about in later shows, that ability to observe what's going on within me and without of me at the same time so that I can kind of note what's going on. Um, but uh, so, so I've got some kind of doubt going on about what you're up to. And I don't want to uh, be an unnice person. I want to be a good person, so I'm just going to ignore that doubt. Well, later, that might, doubt might be coming up to pop me in the face and go, hey, <laughs> you didn't pay attention to me, and look, here it is. Here is the result of, of, of your not paying attention to this doubt. You didn't ask the right questions. You didn't come to any conclusions, and you got involved in something that really is messy for you. So... Uh, giving someone the benefit of the doubt is a way of dismissing our own psyche. Okay? Giving someone the benefit of the doubt is a way of dismissing our own psyche. We're not supposed to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. We're supposed to look at the doubt and just be with it. Just be with it. You're not supposed to judge anybody out of it. You're not going to hurt anybody out of it. You're not going to, you know, decide to not be with that person at all because you've got a doubt. You might if the doubt's big enough, but but you don't have to. You can just sit with the doubt and go, okay, what are you? What's going on here? What, what are you trying to tell me? And let the doubt present its its uh its 
stuff to you so that you can see clearly that, oh, well, I've got some reason to doubt here. I see this, I see this, and I see this. Hmm, that's interesting. Now I can uh, pay more attention to what's really going on here and protect myself, maybe even be honest with the other person, maybe even build more intimacy between me and the other person because I had a doubt and I voiced it and I was concerned enough about it to express it in a way that was effective to build more intimacy in the relationship. So giving the benefit of the doubt is just not a good plan. Um, one of the one of a big lie. I'm not going to say all the lies that are in the book that are, that, that are put forth by our culture that have to do with, you know, these bastions of truth. But I, I will say some of them today. One of the main ones that I think is very damaging is the idea that life's purpose is to help others. I hear that all the time in my practice. I hear it every day out in the world. I see it in books. I see it on mantras. I hear it in TV. I see it on Facebook memes. I see it everywhere. We're just here to help other people. And what that means is that I get to negate myself in the name of serving others. Uh, And particularly for the good guy identity, that's how it's going to be received. I'm just here to serve other people. Life's purpose is to serve other people. And when they feel guilt, when the good guy identity feels guilt, they think that that's a calling to serve others. They, They give that guilt the power of God to call them to serve others. But guilt is a very poor leader. In fact, it's fake. It does not uh, lead us to truth. It does not help us understand who we are. It does not lead us to a deeper place of spirituality. It may lead us to some morality, but it does not lead to spirituality. And those are two very different concepts, uh, which I could spend some time talking on and have spent some time talking on on the show. But for right now, just know that they're very different, uh, and guilt does not lead there. Guilt is a false construct that is based in anxiety that says, uh-oh, I'm about to do something wrong, or, you know, that guilt is telling me not to do something wrong, or the guilt is telling me that I have done something wrong. Uh-oh, my worthiness, my shame is is up now, and it's telling me that I'm an unworthy person if I don't do what the guilt is telling me to do, or if I have done something that the guilt would have told me not to do. Uh, Either way, the guilt is a liar. It's not telling me the truth. Uh, Guilt just says, well, here's the rules and you didn't follow them. Guilt does not say, here's your authenticity. Here's your genuineness. Here's your truth. Here's what resonates within you. Um, So, guilt... when guilt comes to a person who believes that life's purpose is helping others, then what that person will do is automatically go serve others again. And they will do a lot of things for other people that they do not have any passion or compassion for. And so it comes off as empty, comes off as a should, and sometimes there's even a little resentment mixed in with it so that the other person feels that the person's just doing it because they think they have to. And that does not come off in the same genuine way that when you receive a gift from somebody who, who gives it genuinely, it comes off very, very differently than when you receive a gift from someone who does it because they think they should. And we know this. We can feel genuineness when it comes in the room. We can feel it. And um, we can feel ingenuineness as when it comes into the room as well. And so 
These things are an inside job. Our recognition of these things are inside. And you know, one of the things that I've said again and again in the show is 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 that we need to be turning inward to find out who we are. And that that's again what this book is put, uh, putting forth out, putting out there that we uh, that we do need to do the inner work of finding out who we are. So life's purpose is helping in others is a lie. In part, it's a lie because we believe that we have to have a purpose in order to exist. That is a false construct based in an, uh, an idea of worthiness or unworthiness that says if you don't have a purpose, you're not really worthy. And if you do have a purpose, you are really worthy. And so you should make, get a purpose. And I have so many people come in to see me and say, I just don't even know why I'm here. And my, my thinking is, um, you're here to be here. <laughs> you're here to experience being here. That's what being here is all about, that we are that we're here to experience life here on planet Earth. That experience itself is the evolutionary process that is our becoming more and more authentic. And, uh, you know, whether you include reincarnation in that experience or not, um, and I do, I think that's an important part of it as well, but I don't go into depth about that in this book, but I, I do think that it's important to give ourselves plenty of time to evolve into who we are, and that that process gives us that time. Nevertheless, the process of becoming more and more authentic is one in which we look inside and see what's genuine. So I've used this analogy before. An oak tree in the forest does not have to look to the pine tree and say, gosh, I wish I could have those pine cones. They are so beautiful. These funky little acorns that I produce are just tiny little things and they're just not good enough. No, the oak tree just grows into who it is without question. And that's what the authentic, authentic self wants to do. It wants to grow into who we are without question. The questions come from the identity. And therefore, because we're human and not oak trees, we have to answer the questions. And the question of purpose is a lie. We don't have to have a purpose. The purpose is to be here to be here and experience life. And so any other purpose would be a false construct a construct that we lay over that purpose. And so we miss out on our real purpose of experiencing life as it is and, and growing into our greater authenticity by trying to be something we're not to please other people in the world. And that's another sad thing about that lie. So purpose, the idea that we have to have a purpose is a lie. That's the first thing. And the second thing, that the, the purpose should be uh, serving others, is also a lie because it leaves out the self. It says that I should become this selfless person. And what I say a selfless person is, is a person with no awareness of self. So that, that's a person who does not understand that they can live from the authentic self and be that, be present with that, and live from that, and that will be good enough. Um, that's 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 our problem, is that we don't believe that the authentic self is good enough to manage a life. That's why we came up with all these rules and mores, so that we could live a better life, a good life, so we can be good people, and then we would finally be worthy. Um, and that's, that's, of course, the danger. So, uh, so this idea that we are here to serve others is false. And what it does for the good guy identity is put the good guy identity into a, the false idea that if they're not serving others, they're not being worthy, which leads them in sometimes into some very sticky, messy, and even dangerous relationships where they are 
They're stuck serving people who don't give anything about them at all. They don't care about them. They're abusing them. They're harming them in some ways, and they feel that they're stuck in that relationship because they have to keep forgiving and being kind and be serving, serving them. When a woman does not leave a man who's abusive, we rarely ask the question. We've commonly asked the question, you know, why won't she leave him? But we rarely come to the answer that perhaps it's because she's trying to be good. And that is commonly the answer. She's trying to be good. And that makes that very sad indeed. So the purpose of life is not helping others. Others are just as important as we are, and we are just as important as they are. Okay, so we're going to take another break now, and we'll be back in just a few minutes to talk some more about these lies and about how we get a little bit closer to the authentic self Letting in, in the book Letting Go of Good. Back in just a minute. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com What's your purpose on the planet? Are you ready to make jumps to pursue your passions? We often make excuses, but it commonly leads back to fear. Sharing our stories provides an opportunity to learn lessons and leverage pearls of wisdom that we gain on life's journey. We'll help you push through the fears that hold you back from empowering you to experience pure love and live your life's purpose. Tune in to the Beth Bell Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Empowerment. We all have unique experiences and outlooks when it comes to leadership and team building, yet sometimes we clash, even when trying to achieve the exact same goals. Check out Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. Your host is Dr. Cass Henry. A shared journey equals success, and every human interaction has the power to achieve this success by working together. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The human body has different levels of interaction and communications, both at an energetic and informational level. Understand the healing potential and the intelligence hidden within these communications when you tune in to Human Potential and Life Force with Dr. Sun. Are health conditions preventing you from achieving effective potential? Can Life Force, also known as Qi, help your quality of life, relationships, and creativity? Find the answers every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free 1-888-346-9141 That's 1-888-346-9141 you can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about letting go of good, dispel the myth of goodness to find your genuine self, which I've said is coming out, uh, is going to be released on August the 8th. Uh, you can buy that book now on Amazon.com in pre-order form if you'd like to do that. Uh, and uh, when the book comes out, they you know, will be sent your copy automatically. 
uh, I want to tell you the book has also been um, endorsed by Larry Dossie. One of the things he says about it is Matthews identifies a psychological pattern that largely goes unrecognized but which is epidemic, and she offers sound, solid solutions. This very wise book deserves a wide reception, so thank you, Larry Dossie, for that. Also, um, Jonathan Ellerby says, in this wonderful book, Andrea offers an important and insightful message for those seeking the next step in a life of freedom. The, uh, these uh, endorsements come from people who have a lot of res- I have a lot of respect for, Caroline Mice, um, uh, Larry Dossie, and Jonathan Ellerby, as well as some other people who've endorsed the book, Simran Singh, who has her own show on uh, Voice America also says, Andrew Matthews not only understands the depths to which we go to remain in the human condition, but also the purity of the soul in that collaboration. Letting go of good, dispel the myth of goodness, to find your genuine self is a powerful bridge between the two, allowing the authentic self to emerge beyond the identity. So, uh, again, I appreciate these people endorsing the book. Well, what I read you these things for is to let you know that uh, the the book has some power to bring you to to some awareness of your authentic self and through uh, utilizing an integration with this old good guy identity that we might have been carrying around like a ball and chain for many years. Um, I want to tell you uh, just a few more things about the lies uh, with regard to, you know, what uh, these, these falsehoods that have held us back, that have been held up as bastions of truth for centuries that we, we've, been, we've taught each other, we've said to each other, we've believed to be true. One of those is, you're selfish if. Now, I want to say this. I've said this before on the show. The word selfish needs to be thrown out of the dictionary. Uh, it is useful to manipulators and really has not, not much else use. Um, is it possible for somebody to be narcissistic and, and be, uh, have a mental illness that makes them sort of stuck on their own perception about how things ought to go for them? Yes, that is true. That's a mental illness. That's not the same as what the common use of the word selfish. Uh, the word selfish mostly is used by people who want to manipulate other people into doing what they want. So if I want you to do something and you're telling me you can't do it, I might tell you that you're selfish for not doing it. And that might get you to go, oh, ooh, can't be selfish, so I guess I better do that. Um, and for the good guy... That is like a bell ringing. That's like Pavlov's dogs. The bell is ringing. I have to do what they say do because they just told me that I'm selfish. If I don't, I I, I can't be selfish. Selfish is bad. I'm here to serve other people. That's what I'm here to do. I can't be selfish. Therefore, I have to go do what they want me to do, even though I just don't want to do it at all. So you see the conflict that they're in is they're being told to do things that they have to do because they're compelled to do it, because they can't be live with the shame and unworthiness of not of being seen as selfish by somebody else, and therefore they have to go do it. And yet they feel this other tug inside of them saying, yeah, but that's not my true desire. That's not who I really am. So let's talk about choosing between true desire and, and uh, something that's not who I really am. So Grandma asked me to come mow her lawn on a Saturday, and I really had other plans to go to a workshop on Saturday. But Grandma tells me that I'm selfish if I don't come do her lawn on Saturday. She doesn't have anybody else to do it. The grass is growing so high, she feels like she's gone until the African plain. And now you you just feel compelled that you just have to go do that. And uh, so you, you say, okay, I guess I won't go to the workshop. I'll go mow Grandma's lawn. 
but all day you feel a lot of resentment because you really wanted to go to that workshop. See, what happens when these kind of uh, choices are given to us is we think there's only two options. Either I'm selfish or I'm not. Those are the two options. Either I'm selfish or I'm not. So therefore, I, as a good guy identity, I have to land on not. I can't land on selfish. That's just not, no, can't do that. Can't let that happen. So I've got to prove to myself and to my grandmother that I'm not a selfish person. I'm a good person. And I'll try to be pleasant, but I'll feel some resentment and she'll know it. And so she knows that she's manipulated me into doing something I didn't really want to do, but had to get had to get done. Now, so let's think about other options. Is it possible that we could pay somebody to do grandma's lawn for her and go to the workshop? Hmm, there's an idea. Or is it possible that we could uh, say, Grandma, I'm not going to be able to do that until Sunday instead of Saturday. I have a workshop planned for Saturday, but I'll be there on Sunday. Or is it possible that we could uh, set up a plan with a lawn mowing company to do it every week or every two weeks for her? I mean, it, I don't know what's possible, but, you know, have we explored any of these possibilities? No. We haven't even considered them because the only two options on the table are either I'm selfish or I'm not. And that's what happens to the good guy identity. And so they get stuck believing that they're selfish if they don't do what grandma wants and they give up the workshop and they go do what grandma wants. And they've just poured another barrel of resentment into the reservoir of resentment that they carry around inside of them. And then they come see me and they say, you got to help me get rid of this resentment. This makes me a selfish person. I think I'm really selfish because I just didn't want to mow grandma's lawn. There's no room for authentic desire in that. There's no room for authenticity whatsoever in that. There's either I'm just selfish or I'm not. And that's what makes this a lie. Um, so selfish, the term selfish is used to manipulate and it has very little else other use. If I know myself really well, that does not make me selfish. That makes me authentic. If I pay attention to the myself's deep inner urgings, that does not make me selfish. It makes me authentic. If I also pay attention to myself, I'm going to come up with a great deal of compassion and passion for other people because that's in me. It's in all of us. We all have a, a, a deep interconnection of oneness with other people that we can absolutely trust, that it is going to be there for us. We are going to want to be there for other people in some ways that are deep and meaningful to both us and those other people. Presence is one of the main ways we can be there for other people. Just be present with them. Not try to fix them. Not try to help them. Not try to make their lives better. Not to try to take responsibility for them. But just be present with them. Just be there. Just put your hand on their shoulder and let them know that you're there. And, it, you know, if they want you to wash the dishes or do something like that, sure, that's fine. If you really have a, a passion for that, go for it. But... Uh, but there's but presence is the main thing to really be there with another person while they go through whatever they're going through, and that is much more meaningful than all the other tasks you can do. You can bring food. You in the South we fill people's refrigerators and their freezers and their you know until they don't have any more room ever for any more food. When we when they <clears throat> have a loss, we go to their houses and we clean their dishes and we do all those things and we. Yabber on, but we don't really take some time to just be present with the other person. We try not to talk about their grief too much because they might get upset and really just let me wash the dishes and bring you a meal and get the hell out of here. 
because that's what I need to do because it makes me uncomfortable to be really present with you because I don't know how to do that. Why? Because I don't know how to be present with myself. Why? Because I'm busy with my identity instead of my authenticity. So that's, that's what happens so many times in these areas where we could serve in really some powerful ways, but we don't because we're not in touch with our authenticity. We're in touch with our need to not feel unworthy, with our fear that if we don't do the right thing, we'll feel unworthy or that somebody else will think we're unworthy and then we have to believe that maybe they're right. You know, maybe other people really do get to define who I am. So uh, this this whole idea of the selfish really does have a major pull on somebody with a good guy identity. Um, do not judge. That's another one. Thou shalt not judge. Um, that that one is a real hard for, one for people because that are living in the good guy identity because they believe that any discernment or intuition they have about another person is judgment. They don't understand the difference between discernment and intuition and judgment. Uh, And I'm not going to go into a great deal of depth about discernment and intuition in this show. I'm going to talk about that in a later show. But I I do want to clarify what judgment is. Judgment is a measurement of somebody else's worth. Judgment is a measurement of somebody else's worth. Therefore, I define them as worthy or unworthy based on my judgment. And it, they're supposed to. There's a standard of measurement that is absolutely accurate, and I can thereby judge your worth based on that standard. And what we need to understand more than anything else in this world is that there is no one standard for goodness. There is no one standard for badness. This idea of a standardized morality that everybody should comply with is just not true. Even in, when we look at religion. When we look at the text of the Bible, we see that God told people not to kill people, and then he told them to kill people. <laughs> Which one is true? Uh, the standard is really fluid. And so we just don't, there is just no standard for that. We can, however, feel the difference between authenticity and the identity or the fakeness, the, the falseness of an identity. So uh, that's really important for us to understand that that judging someone means I'm measuring their worth, but discerning and intuiting what goes on with somebody is really my recognition of what's in the room with me. That's what it is, and we'll be talking more about that in, in another show, but it, it is really my capacity to, uh, to understand this is what's going on in the room with me, and I need to face and deal with that. But the good guy identity doesn't face and deal with that. He calls that judgment. And he says, oh, I'm judging other people. I should stop doing that. And dismisses all that wise discernment, all that wise intuition that's coming to him in the name of, I've got to be a good person. I can't judge other people. So you, you begin to see that these lies blind and bind the good guy identity to living a life that is practically slavery to other people. So that they have to really, they're compelled by this inner voice that says, you are going to be so unworthy. You are so guilty for not doing that. Now you must feel a great deal of shame because you are not worthy because you didn't do what I told you to do or you did do something I didn't tell you to do. And so they're just uh, bound by that. So they can't even think thoughts of intuition. They can't even think thoughts that are truly discerning thoughts because They're so busy saying to themselves, I don't want to judge other people. And so they put themselves at the mercy of other people's uh, 
dangerous or harmful actions by saying to themselves, that would be judgment if I recognize what that person is doing. And so I can't let myself recognize what that person is doing. I have to stay on the side of not judging. And, of course, that means that they're not going to realize what's really going on in the room, and they're not going to make decisions to protect themselves, to honor their own authenticity, to uh, put up boundaries where they need to be put, to uh, call a lie a lie, to call a truth a truth. They're not going to do all that because they've dismissed what their authentic uh, discernment and intuition in the name of not judging other people. So those are just a few of the lies that we can tell ourselves that keep us stuck in the good guy identity. The issue, though, is that we are stuck in a good guy identity. We're stuck in an idea of ourselves that we must comply with in order to feel like we're okay people. And that, that, that belief that I'm not okay unless I comply with that standard for myself is the problem. So letting go of good, dispel the myth of goodness to find your genuine self is coming out August the 8th. Uh, I think you'll find it a very good read. I think this is problem. This problem is epidemic, as Larry Dossi said. I see it so many times in my practice, and I do think that you know someone or you are someone who might have an issue with being good. So you want to read this book. You want to buy it for your friends. You want to get it to the friend for Christmas and birthday presents. Uh, this book will change your life. So that's what we got for today. We're going to be back next week with some more of the countdown to letting go of good. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week 